being a dad was easier than I thought it was going to be until Jackson turned six months old. And ever since then, it's been infinitely harder than I imagined that it was going to be. So if you're a dad today, stuck between one of those two extremes, it's going really, really well. Just wait till your kids get older. It's going really, really well, or it's really, really hard. You're in good company today, and we want to celebrate you. Dads, we want to honor you. You, um, There is no one more influential in your children's life, for good or bad, than you. And we hope that you feel built up and encouraged by being in God's house today. Because it's Father's Day, I thought it was fitting for us to eavesdrop into a conversation between a spiritual father and his spiritual children. The Apostle John wrote the letter that we call First John to uh, his beloved church. And nine different times he refers to them as children because that's the way he thought of them in his heart. But he also knows that they're more than just children because he's not just speaking to children of a certain age. He's speaking to the entire church. He knows they're not just children. And so in the verses that we'll look at today, 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, he identifies three groups of people, little children, young men, and fathers. Now, Bible scholars have spent years and years and years arguing about who these distinct groups represent. It's clear when you read the entire letter of 1 John that he's probably not singling out little children of a certain age, uh, young men between the ages of 15 and 30, and those who have children, those men who have children. He's not actually speaking to just fathers or just young men or just specifically little children, but in some way they represent all of us. And probably the idea that he's getting at is in that particular church, there were people at all stages of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. And that's what I want to talk about today on Father's Day. You see this in your listening guide, the six road signs towards spiritual maturity. Those of you who are older than 30 may remember a time when you actually had to look at a road sign. Now you just type in where you want to go and you look at the map and it tells you the split second that you should be turning. So we don't even really need road signs anymore. But there was a day when you were in a part of town that you weren't familiar with or you were driving to a different city where those road signs were really important to make sure that you were headed in the direction that you want to head. And in 1 John chapter 2, John is going to list six different signs of maturity that will encourage us on this path. Now, we have to ask before we jump into this, why we should pursue spiritual growth? Why break the status quo and actually pursue to grow and mature in our faith? For a few reasons. Number one, because God's word tells us that we should be seeking spiritual maturity, And on a day like Father's Day, we should want to do what our Heavenly Father has instructed us to do. Reason number two, we all desire a relationship with God that looks like the one that he had with people in the scripture. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, the Israelites, Peter, Paul. We want those relationships with God. We, In fact, we are jealous of them. When we read them in the scripture, we wonder, why doesn't God speak to me like that? Why don't my prayers uh, have the same depth and weight and passion that their prayers have? We long for this kind of relationship with God. It is on the path of spiritual maturity that we begin to live that out. The other reason why we want to pursue spiritual maturity is I'm guessing that most of us would like to make a difference in other people's lives. 
we really would like for God to use us to change the world in Jesus' name. Coming into spiritual maturity is not growing in Bible knowledge, although that can be a part of it. It's becoming more like Jesus. And there is no one who changed the world like Jesus. And so it makes sense to me that the more we become like Jesus, the more influential we'll become. So not only should we seek spiritual maturity because God says to, we should seek it because along that road is the life that we probably have always wanted. So open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. Pull out the listening guide you received on the way in. I would like you to write some things down. Verse 12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. The first road sign towards spiritual maturity I know my sins are forgiven. Verse 12, I'm writing to you little children because you, your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. This was an important idea to John. In fact, in chapter one, verse seven, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. And in verse nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. We're cleansed from unrighteousness. We're clean from sin. I once had a coworker who I thought was my exact opposite. I'm kind of a smaller guy. He is a huge guy, very tall, big shoulders, uh, intimidating to sit across from. And I assumed the whole time that we worked together that he did not like me. At best, tolerated me, but probably based on his resting face, wished that I did not exist. But right before he retired, he pulled me aside and he he told me what a, a joy I had been to work with. And how he enjoyed our relationship. And I wanted to say, dude, you are totally out of tune uh, with this world. But I I was really disappointed because if I had known that he felt that way about me, that he did not in fact hate me, but seemed to enjoy me as a person, I I would have popped into his office to just chit chat. I I would have asked him for advice. I I would have invited him to go to lunch just to spend time together. But I assumed that he didn't like me, tolerated me at best. And because I didn't know where I stood, we didn't have much of a relationship to speak of. Well, the same thing is true about God. If you and I are not sure where we stand with God, our relationship with him will be very shallow. Because the only question we'll be asking is, are you mad at me? Are you happy with me? Are you lukewarm towards me? And then as the variables change, we have to ask again, are you mad at me? Are you happy with me? Are you lukewarm towards me? We can never get on with the process of deepening our relationship with him, growing in spiritual maturity because we'll be stuck at the very first question. How does God feel about me? Well, John makes it clear. Your sins are forgiven. You've been cleansed. When God sees you, he sees something clean. He, He sees righteousness instead of unrighteousness because of Jesus. That's why the first stop on spiritual maturity, on the road to spiritual maturity is 
is knowing that our sins are forgiven. Also, when we aren't sure where we stand with God, we try to compensate. We usually compensate in ways that are destructive to other people. We either turn self-righteous because we invent a, a system of rules for ourselves because it makes us feel that God must like us if we're following all of our rules. And then anyone who's not following our rules, we judge and we hurt people. Or we go the opposite direction. We're not sure how God feels about us. We try hard, we fail, we try hard, we fail. So we just give up and we sort of just do whatever we want to do. And that ends up being destructive towards other people's lives. The first stop on the road to spiritual maturity, the first road sign is we know our sins are forgiven. The second one you see in your listening guide, I know the father. Again, he writes to the little children in verse 13. I write to you children because you know the father. This was actually prophesied about hundreds of years before Jesus returned. The idea of knowing God and having your sins forgiven in Jeremiah chapter 31. The prophet Jeremiah says this in verse 34. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So hundreds of years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the prophet Jeremiah was saying the exact same thing that John is saying. There is a connection, little children, between knowing God and having your sins forgiven. Once you understand that your sins have been forgiven, we're on a path then to really know God and not just know God, but know God as father. Because of Jesus, God has invited us to relate to him in that way. Just think about what a grace gift from Christ the Lord's prayer is the disciples come to him. They say, will you teach us to pray? There's something different about the way that you pray. When we pray, it's because we ought to, when we pray, we're, we're praying prayers that our fathers and forefathers prayed. But when you pray, there's something different. Teach us to pray Jesus the way that you pray. And he starts by saying our father. Now he could have said my father. Jesus is the unique son of God. He could have said my father. And from that time on, we would be praying Jesus father who is in heaven. But he says, no, our father. He invites us to relate to God as father. What a gift of grace that is for us. Because I think many of us, when we think about God, we think about all he's keeping from us. Well, I'd really like to fill in the blank. And God, I know you're powerful enough to give that to me. But for some reason, you are withholding. My dad's garage was a very sacred space when we were growing up. He's the handiest man that I've ever met. I've never seen a repairman in their home. Not one day my entire life. Uh, he's able to do pretty much everything in the house, with a car, whatever. He's great. And to do those things, you need a lot of tools. And so my dad had a really uh, great collection of tools. And when I was a kid and would go into his garage, there were definitely things I was allowed to touch, which was mostly like the trash. And there were things that I um, was not allowed to touch, but I knew the rules. I walked into my garage, my garage this past weekend, looked around and noticed how many of my dad's tools now fill my garage. Because over the years, he's handed things down to me. A drill here, set of screwdrivers here, saw here. Now my garage is filled with all the things that he shared with me. Now there wasn't a moment where we had a real intense and awkward father-son conversation and he loaded up a truck and gave me all those things. 
just little bit by little bit, almost invisibly, he's filled up my garage with his tools. We spend so much time thinking about what God is withholding from us and we never turn around and say, look at all he shared with us. Look at all the good gifts that he has given me. But there wasn't a moment where he said, now I'm going to give you all these good things. And we notice just invisibly every day in one way or another. He shares with us. Why? Because he's our father. And he says, Jesus said about him that if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our father in heaven know how to give good gifts to his children? And you know you're growing in your faith when you stop relating to God just as God, but as Father. Road sign number three. I have overcome and am overcoming the evil one. Road sign towards spiritual maturity. I have overcome and am overcoming the evil one. Now he signals out the group that he labels young men. I'm writing to you, young men, verse 13, because you have overcome the evil one. And that's how he ends this section in verse 14. And you have overcome the evil one. He says it twice. Now we know from reading the scripture that Jesus has overcome the devil in his cross and resurrection. He is also overcoming the works of the devil through his church. That's us. And there'll come a moment in the future when he returns that he ultimately and finally defeats the devil. There is an an aspect of the past, present, and future of overcoming Satan. And Jesus invites us into that same victory. We're able to overcome Satan because of what Jesus has done in the past. And because in our past, we've connected our lives by faith to him. But there is a daily overcoming of the evil one that we are a part of. And when Jesus ultimately defeats the evil one, we will share in that victory as well. Past, present, and future. Now, John has in the back of his mind throughout this entire letter, our interaction with the evil one. And he thinks it's very specifically seen in our interaction with the world. In fact, look how he almost finishes the letter. One of the very last verses in chapter five, in verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are from God. We Christians, Jesus followers, we're from God. We are born of God. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What a massive statement. Now, John has already told us in chapter two that the world, the way he summarizes that is the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh and the boasting about what we have. Can you think of a better summary of our culture? Desires of what we see. Desires of our flesh, just those internal cravings and the boasting of what we have. Isn't that Instagram? It is the boasting of what we have. Now we try to be humble about it, but it is the boasting of this incredible meal that I'm having. It's the boasting of this incredible friendship that I have. It's the boasting of this spouse that I'm uh, celebrating an anniversary with. It's really, and it's not a judgment really. I mean, it sounds like a judgment. Maybe it is. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's, a, it's, a, it's the, the, sh- the sharing, the telling, the, the boasting of what we have. And hopefully as Christians, we're doing that with a humble heart. But the rest of the world, what is their motive for for doing that? And, And John says, the reason the world acts like that, craves things with their eyes, craves things with their flesh, brags about what they have is because the whole world lies in the power of Satan. But you and I, we are from God. So here we are living in this world from God different than this world. 
But John tells us we're on the road to spiritual maturity when we are overcoming, when we are sharing in the victory of Jesus by not becoming a part of that world. We are influential here, but we don't share the same DNA because we are from God. We overcome and we'll continue to overcome the evil one. Next, the road sign to spiritual maturity. I am strong. Again, to the young men in verse 14, I write to you young men because you are strong. The apostle Paul makes it clear that the strength that these apostles are talking about is not internal strength that comes from us. Paul said it like this in Colossians chapter one, verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, I live, I do my ministry. I'm alive, I'm overcoming, not by my own strength, but by his energy, which he powerfully works in me. You know that you're growing in your faith when you depend less and less on your strength and more and more on Christ's strength in you. The next road sign to spiritual maturity, the word of God abides in me. I have the word of God abiding in me. Again, to the young men, verse 14, I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And the word he's referencing is the gospel of Jesus, the eternal nature, the sinless life, the kingdom ministry, sacrificial death, the resurrection, the ascension and promised return of Jesus built on the foundation of the old Testament and seen through the application of the new Testament, the word of God abides in me. Now, how do we know when the word of God abides in us? One great gift that God has given fathers is YouTube. Because with YouTube, you are able to seem handier to your family than you really are. You can find a how-to video on YouTube for anything. Any home improvement project, you want to lay tile? You don't need to hire somebody, just watch YouTube. You want to swap out the engine in your car? You don't need to do it yourself. Or you don't need to help have somebody. You can do it yourself. There's a video on YouTube to do it. There's a video for everything. Right? Even a few weeks ago, I had a little project and I went to YouTube. Right? But there's a difference between being able to imitate somebody step for step on YouTube and actually being able to do it for yourself. I mean, because you couldn't say if you watched a video on YouTube that you know how to do that thing. You'd say they know how to do it and I know how to copy them. But you wouldn't know how to do that thing until you could make that YouTube video yourself. Now, I don't know how you would have the time to make something like that. It doesn't seem extremely lucrative, uh, but people do it. That's how you know you have that skill. You're the one who could make the video. The same thing is true. How do I know when the word of God abides in me? You are able to read it and you are able to do it. Not just copy somebody, but you're able to see it in the scripture for yourself and you are able to do it yourself. It doesn't mean that you're perfect, but consistently you're able to actually practice the things that you're reading. So the Bible says, don't gossip. I don't think that there is a harder command in all the scripture, but it says don't. And we know why it says don't because gossip destroys relationships. 
It destroys the relationship between you and the person you're gossiping about. It destroys the relationship between the person you're talking to and the person you're gossiping about. It destroys the relationship between you and the person you're talking to because now gossip is a part of your relationship. It's a foundational element. It's destructive in every way. The Bible says don't, but we can't resist. Why? Because Proverbs says that gossip is like a tasty morsel. It tastes like chocolate. It's almost impossible to refuse. I know that the word of God is abiding in me. When I read, it says, don't be a gossip. And I'm able to do it. Until then, I'm just reading. I'm just knowing. I could pass a pop quiz. But the word of God abiding in you, living in you, is that you see it and you're able to do it. If you feel stuck in your spiritual growth, maybe you've settled for status quo for a while. You're not exactly sure where to start. I I would start here. I would start with the word of God abiding in you because this is something that you can do before you go to bed tonight. You can read and you can start practicing. You can read that you should be an encourager and and you can practice that before you go to bed. And finally, the last road sign towards spiritual growth that John gives us, he writes to the group he labels fathers, I know Jesus. I know Jesus. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. And again in verse 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Now we know he's talking about Jesus here because this is essentially how he starts his gospel, the gospel of John, referring to Jesus pre-existing before the creation of the world. Him who has been since the beginning, before the world was created by God, Jesus was there with the father. I love how to the most spiritually mature group, he says the most simple thing. To the children, he gives two descriptions. To the young men, he gives three. But to the spiritual fathers, he gives just one. You know Jesus. And this is more than Jesus trivia. This is more than just a Jesus pop quiz. This is a personal relationship with Jesus. And remember, John actually had that. John was one of the chosen three. Among Jesus' 12, he had three that he singled out and gave them extra opportunities. They, get to, they got to see things that the others did not. John was one who went on the mountain of transfiguration and Jesus was clothed with the majesty that he had before he was born in Bethlehem. John was one that got to go into the inner room and watch Jesus raise a little girl from the dead. John got to go a little bit further into the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus when Jesus was praying on the eve of his arrest and death. John got to hear Jesus say, not my will, but your will be done. John could look over and see Jesus in the garden as one closer than the rest and see sweat, blood coming down from Jesus' head as he prayed. Uh, John was the only disciple that after initially fleeing 
found Jesus that evening and kept close to him. John was the only disciple that was there when Jesus was crucified. So it's this John who says, you know that you're on the path towards spiritual maturity, fathers, when you know Jesus. So it wasn't just something that he had available to him. He says, this is available to everybody. These are the six road signs he gives towards spiritual maturity. Now, what's interesting is probably all of us want this as we sit here today, but few of us will do it. Available to all, practiced by just a few. I know that because that's what Jesus said. In Luke chapter eight, he tells the parable of the sower and the seed. He talks about the seed that was thrown into the thorns. And it says in verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And listen to this, and their fruit does not mature. Jesus tells us there's one reason that the word of God won't lead us to a place of spiritual maturity, because we're going to be choked out by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this world. So it's a sad statement that this is available to all of us and yet few of us will actually go and do it. But we know why we're not going to do it. It's it's a matter of care. We're going to care more about pleasure and riches and the things of this world than we'll care about spiritual growth. So today we're just trying to reorder our cares. That there would be nothing that we prioritize like growing spiritually. That we would have no higher goal than to grow up in the faith. To move from being little children to young adults to spiritual fathers and mothers. This is the word from a spiritual father to his spiritual children. Will you pray with me?